0: You are listening to the Lima Community Church Podcast. The following was recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. Those things that, uh, as a pastor, you get to be in, the highs and the lows, the, the great times, the terrible times, but I'll tell you this, last year, one of the, the most special times to me was spending time with Matt that day before he passed. Didn't know he was going to pass, but just uh, sensing the presence of the Lord in that room as we talked, we prayed, and um, it's just the love of God, right? I mean, it's, it's unfathomable, it's, um, but it's available, and what, a, what an awesome, thank you, Jack, for sharing. That's incredible what the Lord has done in Matt's life and in your lives. All right, question, how many of you talk to yourself? Okay, so I'm gonna have to change my sermon now. And we're gonna preach about the fact that all liars or to come to repentance. So the rest of you, let's pray. (laughs) We all talk to ourselves, don't we? Some of us just talk louder and more than others. You ever drive down the road and, and glance over and somebody's in a car by themselves talking to themselves? Not just singing to themselves, but talking to themselves. You ever walk in a room with a family member and you hear a noise and you walk in, they realize you walked in and then it gets quiet. You look around, there's nobody in the room. And it's just kind of awkward, right? We all talk to ourselves, man. That's just part of it. You know, this, these two months as we are considering uh, how to have healthy, God-honoring, life-giving grace-filled relationships, I think one thing we miss is we think about what does that mean with God? What does that mean with my spouse? What does that mean with uh, my kids, my co-workers, my family, my friends? There's one thing that we overlook a lot of times, and that is what is the relationship you have with yourself? What is your relationship to yourself? guess what? The all-wise, uh, beautiful, perfect Word of God covers all bases. And Romans, I mean, laid it out, like, here's what you have. Here's the story of God, story of man, story of salvation, story of what you need to know, all that stuff that we kind of mentioned last week. And, and in Romans chapter 12, it's like, okay, I've unpacked everything for you. Now let's show you how it wears in this world how it wears in the day-to-day life. And he begins at the place where all of us should begin and long to begin is in our relationships. Built for relationship, created relationally by a relational God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? Living in relationship, creates us in his image. We, relationships are the core of who we are supposed to be. That's what matters. What you accumulate, what you do, what you experience, those are all afterthoughts to the relationships that you have in this world. God said, listen, the world is actually created around these two ideas, loving me and loving others. It wasn't love God and accomplish this. It wasn't love God and become this. It was love God and love others. But you notice, even in the great uh, commandment, uh, he finishes that loving others with these two key words, as yourself. And so what's amazing about Romans 12 is, and what we're trying to do, is we want to overlay these principles, these truths, these relational concepts from Romans 12 over our lives. And we want to walk through Romans 12 for for some weeks, flesh it out, and then take some time, some extra time at the end of the series, that what does this mean in my marriage? What does this mean as a parent? What does this mean in the relationship place? We've centered around words like this, that Romans 12 is lifting up relational truths, concepts of humility, of role, of authentic, devoted, selfless, empathy, peaceable, resolved. That these words, if they're operational in our relationships, then we will live into what God has designed for us. And actually, the life you're looking for and hoping to live, and the purpose you desire, and and the harmony and peace, and all that is when healthy relationships go, that happens. Not, hey, reach a certain status or an income bracket or have these experiences or visit all these places. Those are so inconsequential to your happiness. Your happiness lies in loving God and loving others as yourself. Amen? Well, you guys are a lot deader than 9 o'clock. This is 1045. Like, you guys should already be, you've had your brunch, right? No? Maybe that's why you're, you're hangry right now. You just want me to be quiet so you can go to lunch. Listen, watch this. Look how the Lord unpacks this. Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. He begins by this cornerstone of what is your relationship with God supposed to look like? The relationship with God is an all-in relationship. Presenting myself, realizing that if I'm in the driver's seat of my life, I am going to mess up everything, especially my relationships. But if I'm willing to go into the passenger seat and let the Lord himself lead and drive, then my relationships will become healthy and life-giving. Relationship with God is the first place we begin, and it's an all-in relationship. You notice, that then there is verse two. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. It's good, it's perfect, and it's pleasing. He's like, relationship with God all in. He's like, relationship with the world, non-conforming. Like, if I want God's plan and live in God's will, then I already have to come to an agreement that what I see happening around me is not what I should follow. That I have a willingness to understand that for relationships to be healthy, I am not going to catalog or take advice from the ways of this world, the patterns of this world. The relationships of this world are so broken. They're so dysfunctional. They're built on the false premises of power, of, of, of self-centeredness, of using, um, all these things that, that it's how they react with one another. And for relationships to be healthy is, I'm willing to say what I am following after is not what I see around me, and I'm okay with that. Amen? Amen. Relationship with the world is non-conforming. But here's where we want to just sit today in verses three through eight. The relationship with yourself. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. But rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each one of you. And so this is where I want to land for just a minute. I want to talk about the culture we live in. You know, the last hundred and something years, we have become more and more increasingly aware of the science of our brain. Amen? Like, we understand things about ourselves that we never have. I think it's a beautiful thing I think it's an amazing thing. I think it's a remarkable chance for us to have a stunning self-awareness that can only or should only help us to really realize the gift that God has given us in life and personality and, uh, and makeup and DNA and all these things, but then also how God wants to use us out of our own unique creation. It's amazing, right? Right? We call this psychology. We call this all sorts of stuff. And I, I think it's, it's been tremendous. But what happens is what our world does is as we learn information, we only then interpret it through a worldly perspective. And so what we have done with the psychology of the brain, the knowledge, all of this of the brain, is we have developed these themes about ourself and our self-image that have lost its way in our world and have become become counterproductive. We we say things like self-esteem. Everybody knows what self-esteem is, right? I'm pretty sure a hundred years ago and some of you are like, yeah, my dad did not know what self-esteem was (laughs) because he squashed that every time I tried to. You know, you ever grow up like that? I did, a little bit. Um, It's fine, but, like, we say self-esteem now, and it's like, um, we all know what that is. But we've also, what we've done is we've created idols a little bit of some of these things. Like, Exhibit A for me was, uh, again, sports analogy, so just stick with me. Um, A couple years ago, I watched golf. (laughs) Some of you think it's, would be rather watch paint dry, I know, but, um, and I love this season of the year where the Americans have a team and they play against uh, other people in the world. Like there's the President's Cup. And then this year there's the Ryder Cup, the Europeans. And it's just high drama. It's team golf. It's patriotism. It's, it's loaded atmospheres. It's, I love it. Like the Ryder Cup is coming up in a few weeks and I am excited. And I remember one of our golfers was standing over a putt that if he hit it, it was going to be a key point in us winning the cup that year. And I mean, it was, it was a little bit of a downhiller. It was, a, it, was, it was not a give me. And he stood over that with all of the pressure on him. And sure enough, he strikes the ball perfectly, center cup, and we're gonna win the cup. And he stands there with his arms like this and the TV and all the cameras that we have now focusing on him. And I remember him yelling these words, I love me a little me. That's what he said. And my excitement went, oh, are you kidding me? You just won the cup for the United States and I love me a little me. Right, it's not so dissimilar to Colby. I've told you this story. First carry of the year, takes the pitch, goes around the corner, heads for the end zone, going to score, goes right by me. I'm excited. You know, he's going to score a 60-yard touchdown. He gets into the end zone, turns around, drops the ball, and starts beating his chest. And I go from like, yeah, to like, oh, I am an extreme failure. right? And so we're, we're wrestling with self-esteem things, and and so often we, we, we like, we, we think we need to, to just go all in on this idea that you got to feel good, look good, that's what matters more than anything, bump, pump up, pump up, pump up, pump up, right? And yet we live in a world that's so broken, and so it creates all sorts of tensions. I think about Adam in the garden with Eve. They have eaten the fruit. They have sinned. They have become conscious of their sin. God shows up that evening to walk with them. And remember how that verse goes? It goes like this. When God shows up and he asks, "Where are you, Adam?" And finally Adam appears and he says this, "I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid myself. And so begins the story of all of us. That because in our broken world with our own brokenness, and we live in broken homes with broken parents, we go to broken schools, and, and you, you, know what I, you know what I'm talking about. That out of that, it creates this tangled mess where now words like shame and insecurity that result in denials become large burdens that we live with. Amen. I think you know what I'm talking about. I, I, I want to read this to you. I don't normally read, but this week, uh, Christian psychologist Paul Tournier wrote a book called "The Strong and the Weak." The thesis of the book—he's a respected voice—is simple. He says, after years of counseling people of all backgrounds, I came to the conclusion that everyone is desperately insecure. Everyone. Like, we talk about people being insecure. Guess what? I think my experience is we're all insecure, right? He said, some people demonstrate their insecurity with strong reactions, while other demonstrate their insecurity with weak reactions. Then he goes on in this book to just story after story of story who people have acted out of their insecurity. He said, people who power up, come down on you hard, let you know quickly who they are, what they've done, tell you how many people report them, how much they earn, seek to impress you, are desperately insecure. People with strong reactions like emotional outbursts, anger, tirades, super high control issues are exhibiting defense mechanisms that are used to keep people at a distance so others do not see who they really are and maybe reject them. This type of strong behavior keeps people so they can hide and they are not known. And they only perceive the projection of power and strength that hides fear and insecurity. So at the other end of the spectrum are people who hide their insecurities of weak reactions, a wide variety of verbal and nonverbal cues that tell others I'm weak, I'm a victim, I'm super shy, I never do anything of any importance, I'm afraid, feel sorry for me. And what these reactions are in listen is support and concern. And what they're really trying to do is to, is they don't really want your help, they're hiding, and they develop this kind of uh, victim mentality so you do not understand who they really are. They're insecure. It's super quiet. We're all insecure. So how do we figure this out? in a culture that's saying you need to have a healthy self-esteem, all this stuff, and there's some of that. Uh, then there's this, this brokenness that we all live with and we're insecure and we're, we're, we're dealing with out of that shame and fear and denial, right? Like, this is what we do. This is what Adam did, right? Like, well, what happened, Adam? Well, the woman you gave me So he starts blaming, right? This is what we do. I'm going to blame you, and I'm going to blame my home. I'm going to blame my parents. I'm going to blame this and that. Okay? I love what Rick Warren says about the word blame. He said the word blame is actually be lame. (laughs) To blame is to be lame, right? And so we're living in this, and what it does is so often it creates a faulty, unhealthy, dysfunctional Relationship to ourselves. And Paul says, Hey guys, <laughs> I got this deal going on. The Lord has this deal going on. It's the church. He's going to say that he's going to follow not thinking more highly of yourself. That, like, listen, we are members. We are one body with many members. And these members all don't have the same function. So in Christ, Though many, we form one body and each member belongs to all the others. Like the big deal with God is to build this community of believers, the church, where relationships, which is the heart of what we are, are lived out in healthy, life-giving, purpose-filled ways. And that actually when this, when we're the laboratory, when we're, the, um, when we're this, this picture to the world of what God can do, it actually becomes by this, all men will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. The most powerful, the most powerful witness to the dying lost world about the saving grace of Jesus is when the community of believers live like the community of believers in healthy relationship. And he's like, hey, relationships with God, all in. With the world, don't need it. But with yourself, you need to be healthy and accurate. If you are not healthy and accurate about yourself, it will pervert the other relationships. It will cause dysfunction. It will cause turmoil. It'll rip. It'll tear. It'll hurt others. Have you been married? You know what I'm talking about, right? Come on. You know what is amazing about this verse? For by the grace given, I say to each, every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. This word here, these are marvelous words. The the Greek language kind of gives color. It's like if you're watching a black and white TV um, with words, the Greek meanings, the definitions are like making it a color TV. It's vivid and it's more clear. And actually to be sober-minded is to be in one's right mind. And what he is inferring is that conceit or arrogance, the words that's used for to think more highly of yourself than you ought, is actually a form of insanity. Insanity. We think of insanity as like people who talk to themselves. No. <laughs> gotcha. No, like, you know, we're dealing with very deep mental health issues, right? And there's a, there's a level of insanity. The scriptures say, hey, that's true, but actually it's insane to not see yourself accurately. Have you ever dealt with someone like that? Like, because they don't see themselves, you're like, I've said this before, this is insane! Like, this doesn't make sense! And Paul is saying that for relationships to go like they ought, that the relationship with yourself must be one that's accurate and sober, right? You understand sobriety and drunkenness, right? Drunkenness is you lose your judgment, your ability to discern right and wrong, your ability to discern what's accurate. That's why you fall over You've lost your your ability to navigate. You fall over because you're drunk or you, you drive erratically or you make the dumbest decisions and you say the stupidest things. Right? You're not sober. And to think of yourself more highly than you ought is to be drunk in relationships. And Paul is reminding us Relationships begin also with a healthy and accurate view of yourself. I'll just put myself out there, okay? Can I do that? I've thought about this a lot because this has been been a major work of the Holy Spirit in my life for 25 years. Uh, you know, I'm in in Bible college, I'm in whatever you call it, seminary. I'm learning about God. I'm learning all this cool stuff about God. I'm gonna teach people about God. I'm having these intellectual conversations about God. And what began to happen in my heart was I became... um, I became to think of myself more highly than I ought. They develop an arrogance. I remember it. Because even though sometimes I didn't realize it, my relationships really struggled. Even with my parents. Because I had to tell my parents everything they believed was wrong. Amen? Yeah. You ever been there? You come home from college and you're like, no, 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 why have you been believing that? like, do you see where this is going? And what happened is then I met a girl and I decided to share life together with this person. And marriage is a call for an equal union. Is it not? And guess what I brought into the marriage? I was the expert on everything. Do you know how that works in a marriage? (laughs) Not very good if you want a good marriage. And I remember the struggles. My wife was so gracious, but yet... Our first year we fought like cats and dogs and a lot of it was because of this stuff going on. And the Lord began to break me down and began to reveal to me, you cannot think of yourself more highly than you ought. And guess what happened? When I began to allow the sanctifying presence of God to change my perception of myself, when I began to realize that the insecurities that I had that caused me to be combative and sometimes I needed to be knowledgeable because of where I thought I came from and what I needed to project, that when I began to lean into I was, I was forgiven and loved and all these things from God as a child of God, when I began to realize the way I was wired, the way I looked, the way I spoke, the way I acted, there was nothing wrong with that. It wasn't inadequate. I didn't need to feel inferior to anybody else. It was just I was created this unique way by God. And when I began to lean into those things and I began to realize that I was not any better then my wife, my opinion didn't matter. It didn't matter if I was a theologian. (laughs) Guess what happened to the quality of that relationship? Boom. To a point now where it's true, like the longer you live with someone, the more you can love them, the more you can know about them, the more you're committed to them. It's amazing. It seems like... You know, the world's like, that's boring. After a while, you know, try something new. I don't want to. And you know what was a major thing in that? Was when I came to the end of myself. And this verse, truth, began to become a reality. And then you know what else happened? The quality of my relationships everywhere got better. Because I saw myself accurately. That didn't mean I saw myself as some stupid moron whatever you know like i just always walked around with this and like everybody felt sorry for me so i got along with everybody because they were like oh poor guy no i saw myself but i definitely stopped seeing myself as in, as superior to anybody else amen you see key to relationships is your view of yourself not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought. And what that does is it spills over and then what do I have to bring to the table? Because he says, right after this, for just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ we though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We think the heart is a really important thing, and it is. But good luck living without a liver. Amen? Like, just because I stand up here and I'm more visible in the body of Christ because of different things that God has given me to do and a role to fulfill does not for a minute mean that my role is any more different or more important than your role in the body of Christ. If we would grab a hold of that, we would change this community. The scriptures say it's the priesthood of all believers. It's not just a few of us that, well, they're, you know, no. And the ability to accurately see yourself is crucial to healthy relationships. I mean, think about what he says. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each us. This word is charismata. God gives us gifts. Um, God graciously gives us, undeservedly given by the Holy Spirit. He, He actually didn't ask you what gift you wanted, he gave you one. And when we have an accurate understanding of who we are and that we are simply part of a team and that we are called to fulfill our function in the team, and that if we don't, uh, the team's not going to, you know, it's, it's the team. Like I was telling them first service, and I know you're not going to like this, but a couple years ago, I went to a football game at that, sc- that school up north, <laughs> TTUN. I won't even say it. And I remember Iowa was playing in that game. That was the redeemable thing, right? And I remember standing there and, you know, before the game at every school, they play like history of the school and this pump, this music to, to pump you up and, and to think about the tradition. And there was that, that iconic line in college football, Bo Schimbeckler, that when he came to Michigan, or can I say Michigan? <laughs> X again, or whatever they say, whatever you guys say, like... He's like, we're going to turn this thing back around and we're going to be champions, blah, 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 blah. And and, like, and he preached this message. It's the team, the team, the team. Yeah. The, it's not the quarterback. It's not the running back. It's the team. Yeah. Same message that like Saban and all these guys that are successful are always preaching. This is what the body of Christ is. It's the team, the team, the team. And when we have lost our self and our self-importance, we give ourselves up for the team. We very easily find our role and we lean into it. Listen to what he says. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do diligently. If it's to show mercy, do cheerfully. He's like, you know what can happen? Is if you think of yourself accurately and you lose yourself for the team and you find your role and you lean into it, we create this community of people that love and serve and care for one another and then together do it to the world and we show the love of Christ (laughs) if it's prophesying let's just think about those words before we go Prophecy is this divine enablement to proclaim God's truth with power and clarity in a timely and culturally sensitive fashion that results in correction, repentance, or edification. It's the ability to reveal God's word accurately. There are people in this room, who God has given you the role of prophecy, you are thinking about what went wrong, what caused this, what do people need to know to get better? And he said, some of you need to lean into that role. It's the goal of service. Service is that divine enablement to proclaim God's truth with power, or sorry, the divine enablement to attach spiritual value to the accomplishment of physical tasks within the body of Christ. The ability to demonstrate love by meeting practical needs for Christians and for other people. The gift of service is always asking this question, what can I do to help? And some of you in this room have been given this gift and this role. You haven't been given the gift of prophecy. You've not been given the gift. You've been given the gift of service. And to have a accurate understanding of who I am not an elevated or an efficient view, but like, I just know I'm a server, man. I'm a this, and I love that, and I'm leaning into that because together we're doing something better, is to have a proper relationship with yourself. Amen. 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 Teaching the divine enablement to understand and give detailed explanation of biblical truth the ability to search out and validate truth which has been presented. Asking the question, what's the truth? Where did we get that? Why? We desperately need you that have the gift of teaching to use these gifts to continue to help us understand God's will and plan. For our lives. The gift of exhortation, the divine enablement to come alongside another in need of encouragement, to reassure, strengthen, affirm, or maybe even challenge those who are discouraged or wavering in their faith. The ability to stimulate the faith of others. People with exhortation are asking this question, what must be done to fix this? That's your role, gift of giving, right? Everybody wants this gift because it's the divine enablement to earn money, to manage it well, and to wisely contribute to the work of the Lord with cheerfulness and liberality. The ability to entrust personal assets to others for the furtherance of the kingdom. People with the gift of giving are asking this question, what can I give to meet the need The gift of leadership, the divine enablement to see what needs to be done, set goals, and attract, lead, and motivate people to accomplish the work of ministry. The ability to coordinate the activities of others for the achievement of common goals. People with the gift of leadership are asking, what's the goal? And the last one, the gift of mercy, the divine enablement to minister cheerfully and appropriately to people who are suffering or undeserving and to spare them from punishment or consequences justly deserved. The ability to identify with and comfort those who are in distress. The people with the gift of mercy are always asking the question, how can I make them feel better? You see, why he outlines these things is he's highlighting once again that what God wants to do is to create a thriving, life-giving community of people that serve, encourage, edify, strengthen one another. But that does not happen when we don't live in proper relationship to ourselves. And I began to think, Well, I can do this, 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 and this. Or I begin to, you see what I mean? Find your role, lean into it, and lose yourself for the team. Father, I pray today that as we go, as we understand relationships more and more from your word, that we would be all in with you, that we would be non-conforming to the world, and that we would be healthy and accurate in our view of ourselves. <laughs> As this happens, we become kingdom people who live kingdom lives, do kingdom things way bigger than ourselves. We join the kingdom team and we are completely at rest and peace with whatever position we're called to play. In fact, we glory in it, we rest in it, we love it. Thank you for graciously gifting us. And Lord, help us not to muck it up, mess it up, because we think of ourselves too highly than we ought, but to have an accurate assessment and to realize that really we are all equals, all equally important all equally valuable and that together we make a huge difference. Only together. I pray that you will continue to help us understand a proper relationship to ourself. I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Have a week. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, visit limacommunitychurch.com.